this episode, I'm excited to share with you both the tool I used to get student feedback on my first semester of fully remote teaching, as well as what I learned from my students and what I'm doing moving forward. Lions, and I love helping school communities envision bold possibilities, take brave action to make those dreams a reality, and sustain an inclusive, anti-racist culture where all students thrive. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach, educational consultant, and leadership scholar. If you're a leader in the education world, whether you're a principal, superintendent, instructional coach, or a classroom teacher excited about school-wide change like I was, you are a leader. And if you enjoy nerding out about the latest educational books and podcasts, if you're committed to a lifelong journey of learning and growth and being the best version of yourself, you're going to love the Time for Teachership podcast. Let's dive in. For this episode, I'd love to talk to you about the survey that I gave to students at the end of my remote teaching semester, including the questions that I asked them and what they told me and what I learned from them. So as educators, we're always inventing and creating and adapting and iterating our course content. And so I think that's a really important piece is listening to my students and what worked for them, what didn't work for them, and what I can do moving forward. So I thought it might be helpful to just share with you, um, one, my process, and also two, just some student voice. I think it's really powerful whenever I'm listening to a podcast or reading an article and I can see some quotes from students. I just feel like I get to hear a little bit more of the student voice, even if they're not mine. Um, And so while this may not reflect what your students particularly thought about learning, I think it is helpful to just hear from some students and think about how that process goes and what that means for us as reflective practitioners. So the first thing I did was I gave them what's called a pre-then-post test. And this is important because in the research, we found that people who assess where they are around a particular skill set or outcome at the start of a semester, the start of any period of time before getting the intervention or the lesson or whatever it is, they often underestimate just how little they know. And so it's not really a great depiction of where they are starting. When you do a pre-then-post test, what you do is at the end of the course or intervention, you ask them to reflect back to where they were when they started. And because they've learned so much, they have a better sense of where they were at the start in comparison to where they are at the end of the course. So the pre then post test would ask them on a Marzano scale of one to four, where were you at the start of the class around each standard for the course? Where are you now at the end of the course? And so I just wanna share, I won't share everything, but I'll share the biggest growth areas for standards. So where the biggest shift was from start to finish of the course and the area or the standard that had the least amount of growth. So the biggest amount of growth was the learning target or the standard. I am aware of the advantages and disadvantages I have in society because of my membership in different identity groups. And I know how this has affected my life. So for context, this is a gender, race, and society course. It is the introduction course to Merrimack College's women's and gender studies department. 81.8, about 82% at the start of the year said, I am probably at a two. Very few people said that they were at a one. So a two is, you know, I need help, um, but I can do it. I just need, I need support to be able to do it. A couple of students said, I'm okay with it. I just need some more practice. And one or two students said, I know I need a challenge or I could teach someone. 
by the end of the course, about 73% said, I need a challenge. I'm at a four. I am feeling really, really confident with this. And then the other 27% said they're at a three. They just need some more practice. So that was the biggest growth. Again, that was just that self-awareness of advantage and disadvantage in society uh, because of identity membership. And the other biggest one was I can apply a feminist lens to a conversation, text, event, or issue. And this makes sense because of the way I structured the class. Every time we met synchronously in our one hour and 15 minute course on Wednesdays, we would actively apply whatever the readings were for the week to a current event. And so we got a lot of practice with this. So that makes sense that that was a big growth area, just kind of putting that reflective cap on. And so at the start of the year, it was about 73% said that they were at a two, uh, 9% said they were at one, and then the other 18% were split between a three and a four. At the end of the year, we had 82% of people saying they're at a four, and about 18% of people saying they were at a three. So again, that's big growth. The least amount of growth was um, the intersectional standard. And so this was, I can ask, what about women and also which women? So we're not just analyzing for gender, we're analyzing for other aspects of identity as well. We're not assuming a single identity or story or experience. We're not assuming that the group of women um, is monolithic. And so that's really important. Um, there wasn't as much growth there. There, there was some, um, but that is an area that students still feel like that's, that's the biggest challenge for them moving forward. If we look at the numbers there, we had a lot of people, almost 50% of the class who were at a one at the start of the class, 9% who were at a two, 36% who were at a three and 9% who were at a four. Um, at the end of the class, we had about 55% who were at a four, which is excellent. And 36% who were at a three, um, we still had 9% who were at a two. So just a lot less growth than in the other standards, but still growth, which is good, but obviously an area that I want to focus on moving forward in terms of course development. So now I'll just share the rest of the questions I asked for students to reflect on and share with me their thoughts, which will, I think, really help me inform my course moving forward. So the first question I asked was, what did you learn? And this includes a lot of things, content, skills. And I also specifically wanted to know if they were willing to share what the biggest change was for them. So there was a lot of different answers here, of course, but I'll just share three that stuck out. One student said, I learned in the semester about a whole new way of thinking. I never really thought of these kinds of things before this class, but now I put a whole new lens on how I think. So this quote was powerful to me because this is what I would like. I would like kind of an opening of the mind, a mindset shift, if you will, um, in the class. And if I can just provide a new lens to look through uh, the world and look at events, I think that's really helpful for students to be able to use that lens in looking at different events and self-reflecting. That's something that I, I was really excited to hear. Another student said, I became more self-aware and more educated on these topics, which helped me start more discussions outside of the class. This highlighted another piece for me. I think my goal is not just that the, the things that students learn and experience and the skills they develop stay in the class. I want them to move outside of the class and be really relevant and applicable to life. So again, this was heartening. Third student used words that I just wanted to highlight in their response. So uh, power, privilege, analyze, advantage, self-awareness. So kind of key themes we already talked about in those other two responses. But these are words that I think if I set a goal for myself at the end of the year to hear students reflect in a particular way, 
use certain vocabulary or have certain prioritization of skills they develop, these terms would definitely be a part of it. So I think that's helpful for me in just setting goals for the future of what I would like for students to be able to accomplish and think about at the end of the course. And this also helps me set the stage for how I wanna frame my class for my incoming students in the next semester. Another question I asked was, what was your most memorable experience from the class? And these ranged a lot. So some students talked about specific topics uh, that they thought were really interesting. Some even talked about specific facts uh, that they found interesting. So intersectionality was a big one. Uh, we talked about forced hysterectomies, which was really powerful for students. We talked about hidden teachings in school and things that are not covered in school um, that are factual truth historically, but are just not part of the uh, curriculum. And, and that was really enlightening for students, particularly because I had a lot of freshmen, college freshmen who had just come out of the high school setting, who were thinking reflectively about what was last year like for me? What was I learning and not learning? The fact that Black Lives Matter founders are women was really powerful for a lot of students. Again, that intersection of gender and race being really an important component of the class. Some students talked about specific projects they like. The media critique is one that is always a crowd pleaser. I use that in high school. I use it still in college, um, so I definitely will hold on to that project. Specific activities they liked, they liked the discussion. We had a guest speaker, Dr. Sheree Bridges-Patrick. They loved when she came in, um, so that was really helpful. And will just kind of remind me to, again, use those same topics, despite every year, you know, I change up my curriculum a bit, but I will try to go back to those topics and those projects and those class activities that were really resonating with students from this class. Now, here's a huge one that I think is beneficial for me, certainly, because this was the first full semester of remote teaching that I've done. And I think for people who are thinking about remote teaching specifically, this was really uh, fascinating to hear students' responses. And obviously, again, students vary. These might not be reflective of what your students are thinking, but for my class, I just want to share what they said. So one student said, I thought the experience was really good. Classes for each week were very organized and easy to follow with the syllabus. So I think what the student is referring to is in my syllabus, I use that as a one-stop shop for every class resource. So project documents, each week's course texts, readings, podcasts, different things that they needed to interact with, all of the standards for the course, the project descriptions, the specific links to course slides when we were having live classes were in the syllabus. So students knew if they just had to keep track of one document, they could return to that document again and again, they could bookmark it. They wouldn't have to juggle a bunch of different documents for the class. So I think that was helpful to know that that was helpful for them. It certainly helped me as a teacher, just knowing that I bookmarked that document myself and just continued to add to that throughout the course. Students also reflected positively on win time. So what I did for my course, we had two meeting times for the course and that was Monday and Wednesday. I decided to use Wednesday's class as our synchronous session and Monday's class as win time. So I would be there in the Zoom room and students could drop by if they had specific questions about projects, if they wanted to meet with me about their grade, if they needed that teacher-student connection and just that personal FaceTime with their instructor, they could have that. And so there were students who met consistently every week because that's what they needed to learn. And other students who just dropped by when they had a project question or at the end of the year or around midterm grades, a specific grade-related question. So around this, I'll share a couple quotes from students. Students said, I liked having class on Wednesdays and Mondays optional. It gave me more time to complete my weekly journal. So that student really is referring to the ongoing work that we had each week. We had a weekly assignment, which was a reflective journal. And they really liked just being able to dedicate that time. It helped them structure their time when you know everything is a little chaotic this semester. 
to be able to say, okay, this is the time that was allocated for class. Instead of being in that live Zoom meeting, I now will dedicate this hour and 15 minutes to doing some of the reading, to working on my journal and posting it before the deadline for the week. Another student said it was good and it was helpful that there was a day specifically for extra help or questions and knowing I had access to that if I ever needed it. So I think that's interesting. I don't know who this student was because this was an anonymous survey, but this is helpful to know that even the students who didn't go, because I'm, I'm guessing the student probably didn't go uh, to the Monday workshop time or the win time, there were several students who didn't attend win time on Mondays for the entire semester. But it's good to know that maybe someone who didn't ever attend still liked having the option. They liked the flexibility of being able to get some FaceTime one-on-one or in a small group with the teacher. A lot of students talked about their personal learning challenges based on their learning styles with the remote classes in general. So for a lot of these students, they were purely remote, working from home, learning from home. And this was the first time they'd done that, not out of choice, but because they really needed to stay home for one reason or another due to COVID. And so some students said, It was sometimes hard to pay attention just because of so many distractions, but when I got myself in a quiet space, I was able to listen and easily pay attention. Another student said, I would definitely pick class in person rather than online just because of how I learn. Another student said, I personally do not like staring at a computer screen for hours at a time, and it's hard for me to pay attention. So a lot of students are really reflecting not about this class specifically, but on their own self-awareness of how they learn, which I think is a helpful activity. Again, assessment has many different purposes. And I think it's important to note that it's not just assessment for me to improve my learning in the future, right? Assessment for learning, but it's also assessment as learning. So just by nature of answering these questions that I've asked, students are deepening their self-understanding of how they learn and maybe will help them make informed choices moving forward in the future. Other comments students said about the remote learning Um, Even though remote learning wasn't my favorite thing, I found the setup of this class easier to deal with. I'm guessing that means easier in relation to other classes. So it would be great to know who said that because I can follow up, but I'm going to use some of these other quotes to kind of help me paint a picture of that. It was hard and different, but I was able to adjust as the semester went on. I liked this remote learning experience. It was easy to follow. So some students really did enjoy remote learning more than in-person learning. It may have saved a lot of driving time because we have a lot of commuters at the college. Um, And I I think also that easy to follow piece is really important. So having those streamlined processes, every Monday we do this, every Wednesday we do this, the things are always posted on this one document for any resource you will need. I think that was a really important part of my setup that contributed to um, the comments about positive organization or easy to follow. So I'll continue doing that moving forward because it sounds like that resonated with students. Another student said, I thought that the remote learning experience for the class was the best out of all my remote classes. I liked the surveys at the beginning of the class, as well as the breakout room discussions. So just some context for how I framed the class. Surveys were self-assessments on Marzano's scale of one to four that I mentioned earlier for every standard that the specific class was about. So I would usually have one, maybe two standards for each class that we're focusing in on. And at the beginning and end of the class, I would ask students where they were in that moment. On a scale of one to four, I would use Zoom's poll feature And I used the same poll, just logistically, if you're wondering, I used the same poll with the same scale of one to four, and I would write out what a one meant, what a two meant, et cetera. And I would just ask the two questions on the first learning target, on the second learning target, how would you rate? And so I could change the learning targets on the screen and I would be sharing my screen with them. And so that way I didn't have to create a new poll every single class. 
for the breakout room discussions, what we would do is we would have about 50 minutes of a whole class conversation. Um, we would divide it usually into maybe two different activities. The last activity being a case study where we looked at a current event and thought about how we could apply the week's readings to the current event. And so we would analyze that. First, I would present some information whole class, and then I would usually take about 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes for students to go into breakout rooms in a group of about four or so. And they would be able to answer maybe two or three key questions in response to the case study. And then we'd come back together and share out. Last question I asked is, what could I improve when I teach this class next semester. So I really want specific feedback. I've kind of inferred from some of the other questions what I could do, but now I'm just asking students, tell me what should change. Here are some things they said. One, less video projects and possibly more papers. So I did a lot of video projects. I didn't want students writing a paper. Um, for the three projects, one was a one page written paper and the other two were video projects or audio projects. So that's good information to have. And I've had that feedback in the past. So I think I want to expand um, a little bit of choice for students. I want you to be persuasive. So you know, pick what works best for you. But if you're a persuasive writer and that is your strength, I want you to be able to play to your strength. I don't want you to write a paper because it's easier. I want you to write it because it is where your strength lies and you can capitalize on that. So I think the framing of it is important, but I'd like to expand that and, and see what that looks like in the future. The reason I got away from papers to start was because I have them publish, quote unquote, their papers or their projects, I should say, to other students and then other students will read and comment on theirs. So it's nice to get that peer feedback. I felt like students might not want to read a lot of papers because they're already reading the journals each week and engaging in conversation around those. It would have been a lot more reading um, and a viewing a video might be more um, engaging. But I think I can just ask students that question after giving students the option to respond and have the students say, you know, this one was really engaging because it was a well-written paper or, you know, this movie was more interesting to engage with because it was audiovisual and that's how I learn. So having that discussion as opposed to just making that decision for students, I think is a key learning here. Another student said, the only thing I think should change is that there should be project due dates. I think that because there is no set due date, students can fall behind and get overwhelmed because they are pushing projects off. So context for this, I said there are specific dates within the semester that I had as quote unquote suggested due dates. And so I said, if you're pacing yourself, I really would like to see this project at this time. However, due to COVID and due to a lot of uncertainty in the world, I'm going to be flexible with deadlines this year. And so I positioned it as a flexible due date. A lot of students, far more than I thought, uh, really saw that as not a real deadline at all and ended up turning in all three projects the last week of the semester. So moving forward, I will definitely set concrete deadlines and then I can be flexible with them, but maybe not advertise that flexibility as much. Another student said, I think the only thing to improve is responding to emails. So absolutely, one of the things I did for my like just self-care and ability to be able to turn work off when I needed to was I took notifications off of my phone. And so I don't think I'll put those back on, but I do think what I can do is dedicate time each day, maybe just 20 minutes each day to be able to go through and check my email. What I was doing was only checking email on the days of class because I was already in work mode. I was in that particular email. I have set up on my computer, different browsers configured to different email settings because I have about six different emails for different contracts that I work on. And so I was only responding on Mondays and Wednesdays. And so I think some students were frustrated with that. Absolutely. Uh, fair point. And so I'm going to really think about how I can build that into my schedule next year. 
a student that said, I think that some of the directions for the projects were kind of confusing. And so I, I definitely want to go back and make sure that those are streamlined. I also provided uh, links in the syllabus in that singular document they had to other Google Docs that had rubrics, that had examples of previous projects that were good. But I think that double click, like having to click into a document and then click into another document was too much. So maybe directly linking those could be more helpful. I mean, of course, streamlining those directions is something I'll do moving forward. A student said, I think one thing that could be done to improve this class is giving grades for the journal assignments. It was hard to tell how I was doing in this class because there was no feedback given about what was right and what I might have been doing wrong for the journals. Another student said something similar, feedback for the journals, just so people know how they can improve them each week. So previously, in the previous two semesters, I graded journals on a quarterly kind of basis. So every kind of four weeks or so, I would give students a grade and I would explain the grade. This year, again, for flexibility's sake, I wanted to make sure students weren't stressed about grades specifically. And so I would go in and I would comment because we use the journals as prompts for conversation for the whole class. And so I would just comment in those discussion threads, not for every student every single day or every single week, I should say, but occasionally, and I would try to get to every student every few weeks or so, just to say, you know, I'm, I'm really missing some information here, or, um, you know, here's what I think in response to your discussion question you asked, I want to highlight and emphasize the quote you referenced, more qualitative in response to what they wrote, as opposed to from a teacher lens, here's what I like about this and what I don't like in terms of meeting the assignment criteria. So that was really helpful to hear because I did not at all think that that was going to be something that students wanted. I thought the flexibility and the response to the content as opposed to the criteria for the assignment would be more helpful. And so moving forward, I think that's something that I will think a little bit about. Maybe again, go back to a quarterly grade with a qualitative here's why, um, so that students don't feel stressed about not knowing whether their journals were productive or not. And the final thing students said for this question was, one thing I would suggest when you teach this class next semester is to limit the amount of breakout rooms. I know I personally do not get anything out of these, and I know that many people agree with me. This is not only for this class, but for every other class that does breakout rooms. I find that more times than not, the breakout rooms are just filled with awkward silence amongst the students in them. This was really helpful for me to learn because in my facilitation of adult learning, I oftentimes leave space for people to go into breakout rooms and not feel watched by me as the facilitator so that they can have time to catch up or talk to people that they actually don't know that well. Um, in many cases, these were freshmen who had never met in person. Um, they didn't know one another. So I thought that might be some nice privacy for students to be able to talk without that monitoring. However, I think this is really powerful. While an earlier student had said they love breakout rooms, this student did not. And so what I think that means for me in terms of my course design next year is that I really want to play with various discussion protocols, just like I would in the physical classroom. And then the class can determine which is best for them because each group is really unique. So for example, I could do a virtual disagree, agree discussion. So in a classroom that looks like stand on this side of the room, if you agree with this statement on this side, if you disagree, and then we call on people from each group. So I tried something like that this year in a virtual setting with Zoom annotation. And so I just set up the slide and then I had them annotate where they were and then would call on someone from each group to share why they were there. Um, that worked okay. I would also add, you know, virtual circle. So again, instead of passing the talking piece, passing the mic. So I am done speaking. Um, I'm gonna pass the mic to and then name the person. 
maybe breakout rooms could work, but with an accountability task, or maybe I need to pop in more. Um, an accountability task might look like a Google slide deck where you know in your breakout room, you're speaking about these questions and you're jotting some of your responses in a shared Google doc or a shared Google slide and your group has this slide to fill out. So you can also see what other people are saying, maybe for inspiration um, and for motivation to complete that assignment. I could also do something like a live Padlet or a Jamboard where people are annotating via typing and we're all seeing it live without needing to go into different breakout rooms. So people just, again, have a different mechanism if they don't wanna speak. A lot of my students do not wanna unmute their mic and speak. A lot of students also chose not to show themselves on video, which I think is something that they should have the choice to do. Um, but it made it for, uh, made for a difficult conversation because they weren't as comfortable unmuting because we couldn't see them, because their default was to be on mute. And even when they entered into the chat, the chat feature, usually they use the private setting. And so other students couldn't see a public message. And so I think this is really interesting and maybe a Padlet would actually help this a little bit. So students are generating, again, with options, they could record in Padlet, you can record an audio note or do a drawing, or you could just type and we can see that live. So that might generate some more responses that people don't feel comfortable sharing verbally. Um, other things that I just wanted to pull out from some of the responses to various questions that I didn't share are things like, I enjoyed the class and the expressive freedom that came with it, whether it was in the journals or the projects. I really liked how approachable you are and that it's not intimidating to email you with questions or concerns. One person said she was excited to teach so that AFIC was important to them. Um, and then another student said, I do like how you provide choice boards for the journals. I, along with many other students, find it much easier to complete journals when we are given inspiration as to what to write about. I also like how you provide the ability to veer away from these topics too. I enjoyed reading my classmates' journals over the course of the semester each week because everyone's was different. So I think this is really important to name at the end because as I go forward and share my takeaways, while I'm thinking about a lot of ways I was trying to be flexible not working for students, it is also important to remember I often focus on what I could do better, that some of the things I did were working for students and that flexibility that showed up in different ways was actually helpful. And so I should continue to do that. So just to summarize some key takeaways, I'm going to set deadlines and I'm gonna be flexible with them, but I'm not gonna publicize that. I'm going to clarify directions for projects and I'm gonna try linking rubrics and examples for each project directly into the syllabus so they don't have to double click through. I'm gonna give some more choice in writing versus video really makes space for students to reflect on how engaging different types are in their peer responses and let students play to their strengths. I'm gonna give qualitative feedback on journals, perhaps with a grade, perhaps not, but feedback around the criteria of the assignment, maybe quarterly. I'm gonna dedicate time to email each weekday. I'm not going to put notifications on my phone, but each weekday should suffice. I'm gonna rethink breakout rooms. So play with those various discussion protocols I talked about and figure out what's best for the group. And I'm also going to continue with a lot of things. Monday, Wednesdays, that flex time to just be able to drop in and chat. Text choice for reading and listening each week. And also I'm gonna keep the projects, especially the media critique. That's usually everyone's favorite, um, but I'm gonna clarify the directions for them so they're more streamlined and open up that choice in terms of how they're presenting that information, papers being an option next semester. I also want to continue to bring in fresh lessons that talk about current events, which will change each semester, of course, and really center the concepts that keep my energy high and my ability to engage with that high affect and positive affect that students need and can sometimes be contagious for student learning.
Now that I've shared all the things that my students have said, I'd love to hear what your students say. And to help you collect some of that information from your students, I can go ahead and share as the freebie for this week, a template of the semester reflection Google form that I use for my class. I'll try to make it pretty generic so you can add in specific standards for your class for the pre then post section at the start. And you can keep, add, or edit to any of the reflection questions in the second half of the form. I also encourage you to share forms like this with students more than just at the end of the semester. Another thing I wanna do next semester is ask these questions halfway through or even on a biweekly basis to generate some of this information before I lose the students to another class. With that, I will leave you thinking about what you wanna ask your students, what you wanna do differently next semester, if you're remote teaching, if you're hybrid teaching, or if you're in person. And again, please share any information or learnings or ahas or student quotes that you would like with us in the Time for Teachership Facebook group. Thanks for listening, amazing educators. If you loved this episode, you can share it on social media and tag me at Lindsay Beth Alliance or leave a review of the show so leaders like you will be more likely to find it. To continue the conversation, you can head over to our Time for Teachership Facebook group and join our community of educational visionaries. Until next time, leaders, continue to think big, act brave, and be your best self. Thank you.